0: Specialty Stories, Session Number 29. Whether you're a pre-med or medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. And welcome to the Specialty Stories Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host for this podcast, as well as many others. You can check out everything that we do at mededmedia.com. A couple weeks ago in session number 27, I dove into the residency data, the match data for OBGYN. And today we're going to talk to an OBGYN about her career and her path and what she likes about OBGYN, what she doesn't like about it, and, and tips that she has for you as you are going through the process to decide if OBGYN is right for you. Let's go ahead and dive right in.
1: My name is Dr. Renee Volney Darko, and I am an
0: obstetrician gynecologist. And, Renee, are you in an academic or community setting?
1: Community setting.
0: Okay. Was academics ever on the table for you?
1: Uh, I think at one point it was. Um, I considered an academic setting, I think, while I was in residency. Uh, But shortly before I graduated from residency, I started realizing that, you know, I I needed to explore a little bit more of the setting that I wanted to be in. And so I actually started uh, doing locum tenens um, in terms of practice, uh, rather than joining either a group or an academic center. Um, and during that time that, uh, I graduated or excuse me, that during the time that I was doing locums right after I graduated from residency, I actually did a health policy fellowship as well. Okay. That gave me a little bit of time to kind of think of where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do.
0: Yeah. Interesting. How long have you been practicing?
1: So, I graduated my residency in 2010. So, it's been seven years. Oh my God. I can't believe <laughs> I said that.
0: <laughs> Long time. That's Long okay. Long time. Right. Still, still the beginning stages. Yeah. When yeah. did you know that you wanted to be uh, an OBGYN doc?
1: Oh, that's a very interesting question. So, I, I did not want to be an OBGYN when I first entered medical school. That was actually the last thing I ever wanted to do. I was like, I do not want to be on that side of the curtain. I would do anything else but be an OBGYN. I actually wanted to be I actually wanted to be a pediatrician. And I did my P's rotation in my 3rd year of medical school and I hated it. <laughs> I absolutely hated it. And not because of the kids, not even because of the parents, I just didn't enjoy the medicine of pediatrics. It just wasn't for me. Um, So I went on into my, almost my fourth year. So the last rotation of my third year, and it was OB. And I thought, oh my God, this is the last rotation. And I know I'm not going to like it. So I don't know what I'm going to do. And I went in and did my first week of OB and I loved it. I just absolutely loved it. Loved the versatility, loved going to the OR, loved doing the deliveries, loved doing the procedures in the office. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is this is actually great. This is for me. So that's that's kind of when I realized that eh, I'm, I might want to consider more seriously being an OBGYN.
0: What? was it specifically when when you said you don't like the medicine of pediatrics? Can you explain what that means?
1: So pediatrics, um, for me anyway, my experience tended to be kind of like internal medicine where, you know, you see your patients, especially in the hospital, right? So you round, you discuss, you put in orders, check labs, you round again and you, you just kind of do this entire cycle over and over and over. And that was at least my experience, <laughs> right? Because it, it varies, obviously. People who are pediatricians and subspecialties of pediatrics, obviously, they, you know they may do more. But that was actually my experience. The other thing that kind of disturbs me about pediatrics was that I actually did not enjoy it because I don't think I was actually very good at it. And so when it came to, okay, what's the differential diagnosis for this patient? I'm like, I, I don't know, <laughs> you know, like what, how do you, you know, you have a rash, you know, and it's been four days, what is it? And I'm just like, I don't know, just give him them and he will be fine, you know? <laughs> and that actually was not the answer. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I just wasn't good at it and I probably wasn't good at it because it just didn't interest me. Um, Whereas OB, like I said, it was a lot more versatile. Even as a generalist, you were doing a lot of things that potentially could be considered subspecialty even, right? Like surgery. So for me, that was just a little more interesting because I was able to get my hands in there and, you know, work with my hands and just do a little bit more and keep myself busy.
0: Before you started off, on that path to OBGYN and and you um, were interested in that diversity, had you ever thought of a procedure-based practice?
1: No, I hadn't. And that was the interesting part of it, right? Because I never really thought about the procedures being a major part of, you know, what I would be doing as a physician. So I just thought, well, if I like this particular population, that's the population that I want to work with. And I can tell you being a new mom, I love kids. I love, you know, love my son obviously, and I I do love kids, but it I needed more than just the population. I needed something that was going to motivate me, keep me busy, um something that was going to be enjoyable. And so the medicine the practice of OBGYN to me was definitely something that was just of more interest to me.
0: Okay, good. Another great example of how you should keep an open mind going into medical school.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: What what traits do you think lead to being a good OBGYN?
1: I think, well, I, so I will tell you that when I was in residency, One of the things one of my attendings used to say to me is, you know, you're not, you're not your patient's social worker. (laughs) (laughs) And part of the reason he would say that to me is because I would go in and more than just what's your complaint today, you know, and what can I do for you in terms of prescribing or procedure, I would actually sit down and listen to patients and they would tell me things about their life. Their home life, in particular, um, their personal lives, their relationships—all of these things that I think really affect people. Outside of just looking at, you know, what is the differential diagnosis of this person, you really need to think about what are the things that are affecting these your patient's health. Um, and so, I think being a good listener and really just kind of allowing a patient to feel comfortable with you—I think that is the number one thing about being an OB that makes you a great OB. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a very intimate type of specialty. And so I think you you need to go in thinking that and and realizing that the patient is going to tell you intimate details and for you not to to shy away from listening to those details.
0: It's very similar I guess to we've we've had a PDGI doc on and mm-hmm. an adult urologist on. So you need to be comfortable talking about poop and pee and, and private parts and everything else.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You can't shy away. If if you shy away, you kind of, you, you might miss things. Let's just <laughs> put it like that, yeah.
0: Besides, so you, you started off thinking pediatrics, uh, OB kind of took over that passion. Were there any other specialties as you were going through the process that, were in the running for your choice?
1: For me, I would probably say no. And I think, you know, that it's probably unfortunate, right? Because I think I was so deadlocked on being a pediatrician that I don't think I I left myself open to looking at other specialties. And so by the time, remember, remember that I said that it was at the end of my third year, mm-hmm. That I did my OB rotation, so you know, not having opened my mind until I didn't like my P's rotation, which I think was—I don't know—I don't remember. I think was in March of that year. I, I think I missed a lot of other opportunities to at least consider some other specialties. But that being said, I love my specialty and would not trade it for the world.
0: Good. Yeah. All right. You, you answered a a question I have for you later. We'll, we'll take it now. What types of patients, what types of diseases do you see?
1: Um, so dealing in OB, so there's the OB side, right? The obstetrical side. So obstetrics, I don't know, you know, who your audience is going to be specifically, but obstetrics is basically pregnant patients and the GYN or gynecology is non-pregnant patients. And so your non-pregnant patients can range typically for, for my population is going to range from about 14 years old to basically the elderly. And so obviously I see pregnant patients. Um, I see patients who are trying to conceive. um, So patients with infertility, uh, patients who may have issues with menstruation. So irregular periods, Uh, they, maybe they haven't had a period in months and they're still not pregnant, but they, you know, they're having hormonal issues that are allowing them or that are not allowing them to have periods. Uh, I see patients in terms of the elderly population, women who are going through menopause. So I see a wide variety of patients. And I think, I think that also kind of, you know, makes my job a little more interesting. So there's not just this kind of one diagnosis that I'm seeing constantly throughout the day. Just
0: describe a typical day.
1: So my typical day would be basically going into the office, uh, usually around 845 or so. And on my on my list of patients or on my schedule would be maybe about in the morning, I would say 10 to 12 patients in the morning and then in the afternoon, pretty much the same thing. I'm lucky if I get a lunch. (laughs) Oftentimes I don't. But let's say, you know, the first patient of the day might be a pregnant patient. And so she may be coming in. Maybe this is her first visit. And so when she comes in for her first visit, I have to assess all of her risk factors, how old she is, Does she has she had any previous pregnancies? Um, has she had any complications with those previous pregnancies? Um, does she have any genetic disorders? Um, does the father of the baby have any genetic disorders that we might want to look at? That might affect the pregnancy. Does she have any medical conditions? High blood pressure, diabetes, asthma, all those kinds of things. So I do her risk assessment, and then I do an exam on her, um, make sure that you know she's doing okay. Measure the size of her uterus. Um, if if she's further, if she's far enough along, I can actually listen to the baby, um, to the baby's heartbeat. And then we make a plan, you know, this is how your pregnancy is going to go. And, you know, here are the things that we can expect. Here's your follow-up appointment and what to expect for next time. And so that goes on throughout the day and every day, or excuse me, every patient may be, again, a different diagnosis coming for a, a, a different problem. So my first patient of the day, like I said, may be a pregnant patient, but the next patient may be an, an elderly woman who, you know, is coming in because she's having hot flashes, for example. So it, it can vary throughout the day, the number of patients, the, the versatility of patients that
0: I see. Do you have to take a lot of call?
1: So call really depends on how many people you have in your call rotation. Um, for me personally. Um, Right now, the answer is no, I don't have to take a lot of call. Uh, But in the past, there have been times when I have had to take call maybe three, four times a week. And, um, you know, that can get pretty hectic. (laughs) That can get pretty hectic. So it really just all depends on how many people you have in your call rotation.
0: And I'm assuming for OB call... Is typically in hospital where you have to come in to do something?
1: Well, that actually varies as well so in OB there there are different models of OB, and one of the pop one of the models that is becoming a little more popular is the laborist model. so you kind of alluded to that where you're in the hospital. but in this case, when you're a laborist, that's all you do is you stay in the hospital, so you typically won't see patients in the office. That is not the model that I've practiced in the past. Um, however, if you are an OBGYN who does see patients in the office and you take call, let's say at night, you can either take call from home if you live close enough. And depending on how busy your hospital is and what their policy is in terms of call, you can take call in the hospital, um, where you have to stay in the hospital uh, Uh, overnight, or you can take call from home, but do something that they call second call. And that is probably the most, um, the most recent kind of call that I have taken. Second call basically is call when someone else is taking the primary call. So in, in my, in my particular example, The family practice doctors actually practice OB where I am. I'm in a rural setting. So they practice OB. And so they're the first call. They're the first line. And so they tend to take care of most of the pregnant patients that come in. However, if they run into a problem, let's say there's a complication that they anticipate or the patient is just a little more high risk than they anticipate or the patient is deemed to need a C-section then they will call me and I will come in from home into the hospital.
0: Okay. As as an OB, yeah. how do you see work-life balance, if that's a thing? Do you think you have enough time for family?
1: <laughs> um, Right now, I would say yes. But I've significantly changed how I practice. So right now, I am doing independent contracting. So that basically means that I get to choose when I work and when I don't work. And so that's not a model that most doctors even, let alone OBs, will follow. That's, that's really a, a very uncommon um, practice model. However, if you're talking about kind of the previous model where I was working in the hospital and seeing patients in the office, I would say it's it's kind of difficult. It, it can be very cumbersome to balance your home and your work life. Um, you tend to a lot of times bring work home with you, uh, or you stay home, you stay at work late to finish what it is that you need to finish. You know, it's important for people to understand that just because your hours are designated to see a certain number of patients in the office, it doesn't mean that when the appointments end, that your work ends. Sometimes that's just when your work is beginning. So at the end of, let's say, a typical day that I just, you know, previously described to you. So again, 10 to 12 patients in the morning, 10 to 12 patients in the afternoon. And while I'm seeing those patients, obviously, you know, some patients are going to take 15 minutes. Some patients are going to take 45 minutes because they just, they need me for that long. And so that kind of puts me behind. And so when that puts me behind, then that means there are notes that I have to catch up on. Well, while that day is, is still rolling along, there are other patients who are calling into the front desk. And so there are messages that are accumulating into my inbox. Oh, and by the way, there are labs that I ordered, you know, maybe days before for my previous patients. And those, those results start to come in. And so the question becomes, okay, well, when do I have time to look at all of that? Well, it has to be at the end of the day. So if I, see my last, if I see my last patient, let's say at six o'clock, then that's the time when I start looking at my inbox to look at the patients who called in and who have questions or need prescription refills. And I have to look at the labs and the radiology results. And act on those if they need something you know some follow up, so you know i could I could probably get home close to 8 o'clock at night, um still have to come home, cook dinner <laughs> decompress, and uh go to sleep and do it all over again if I'm not on call mm. so <laughs> so it it can be it can be very busy, let's put it like that,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. sounds familiar, yeah. <laughs> Talk about the the path to become an, an OB. What does residency look like?
1: So, residency is 4 years. And typically in your first year of residency, you're going to be doing mostly OB and GYN, just kind of the general OB and GYN rotations. So, for my residency, that kind of looked like um basically, well, we went to different hospitals. So I started out at one hospital doing an OB rotation, went to the next hospital, did an OB rotation. um, Also did a GYN rotation along with GYN ER. So seeing patients in the emergency room as an OBGYN resident. And so that you're going to pretty much alternate in the general specialty of OBGYN in your second year, you're going to go more into the subspecialties. So you might be introduced to MFM, which is maternal fetal medicine or high-risk obstetrics. So patients who are not just pregnant, but have some high-risk issues. Uh, you'll be most likely introduced to gyneco- gynecologic oncology. So patients who have cancers. Um, Basically, women's health type of cancer, so uterine cancer, cervical cancer, ovarian cancer, those kinds of things. You may also be introduced to urogynecology. So being a urologist slash gynecologist, um, so that rotation basically entails a lot of surgical, just like gynoc, you'll get a lot of surgical experience with that. Um, and so you'll go on to your third year. And in your third year, you're more expected to take on a little bit more of responsibility. So you have junior residents that by the time you hit your third year, you're considered a senior resident and um, you may have a team that you're actually leading. And so your team may may be made up of a second year and a first year and you're the third year on the team and you're leading that team. And throughout your residency, you're also doing what they call night float. So taking night call, maybe from 6 p.m. one night in to 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. in the, or excuse me, 6, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. in the morning. And so you're doing this for four days out of the week, usually four to five days out of the week. Um, in your third year, you're also, again, taking a little more responsibility, like I said, with your... OB rotation. So maybe you're making more decisions. Um, same thing with gynecology. You're in the OR a little bit more, maybe doing more advanced type of procedures. So whereas in your first year, you may have been doing minor procedures like tubal ligations, um, leaps, um, things like that. You, in your third year, might be doing a little more hysterectomies, um, you know, basically removal of, of the uterus, removal of ovaries and things like that. And then in your fourth year, again, it's just more of more responsibility, even more responsibility. You're definitely leading a team. Um, You're doing night float, but you're doing OB. You're doing GYN. You're also doing potentially um, maternal fetal medicine. And this is all broken up into rotations, right? So you're not doing this all at once, but you're doing it kind of four weeks at a time, maybe six weeks at a time. You're doing all of these uh, special subspecialties that I mentioned. So it's, you know, it's, um, it's a pretty busy residency, I would say, but you get so much, you get so much out of it. And I think, you know, for me, I, I definitely learned a lot in residency.
0: How competitive is OB to match into?
1: Um, I would say it's pretty competitive, actually. I mean, it's not the most competitive. We're not talking about ortho or, you know, even general surgery, but I would say it's pretty competitive. Um, I don't know what the latest numbers have been, but I think, Ooh, in my year, I want to say maybe there were, Oh gosh, what were the numbers for my year? I want to say there were maybe, I don't know. Oh, I, you know what? I I can't remember the numbers for my year, but I do remember it being a pretty competitive year. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you want to, you know, if you want to be OB, it's for me, I think it's very important that you go into, um, doing those kind of audition rotations, you know, so doing your sub eyes, your sub internships, or, um, you know, pretty early in the year, in your fourth year in particular, and seeing where you want to be. Um, so that that way you're not kind of blindly picking where you want to go. So yeah, I I think it because also it's a it's a surgical specialty. Um, you want to be sure that wherever you go, you're going to be in a place that does enough surgery. So delivering babies is 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 obviously fine, but if you have a program that is so obstetrics heavy and not enough gynecology, especially surgeries, you might want to rethink. You know. <laughs> you might want to reconsider, going to that program. Um, because in the end, you're going to have to really know how to work your hands to do surgery. Trust me, wherever you go, you'll, you'll learn how to deliver baby, whether by vaginal delivery or C-section, but doing hysterectomies in particular, vaginal hysterectomies and other types of gynecological procedures, you're going to really, really want to get good training in that.
0: And is that something when you're looking at programs, you just ask them how many cases they have every year?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you are, you know, either going to inquire about the program or doing a sub I or interviewing, that is one of the questions that you want to ask. You want to ask that of the program director. You want to ask that of the resident's. You really want to get a sense of what your training is going to look like, particularly your surgical training.
0: You are a DO, if I'm not mistaken, correct?
1: Correct. What
0: for for you, as you were applying for residencies, did you see any bias towards DOs um, going into OBGYN?
1: I actually never experienced any bias. Um, I actually did the MD match. I chose to opt out of the DO match. And the only reason I opted out of the DO match was because at the time, and this has changed since then, but at the time there weren't enough programs in the region where I wanted to be. So I'm, I'm from New York. So I wanted to come back to the New York, New Jersey area And so there just weren't enough DO programs that I felt that I was interested in where I would say, okay, I'll do the DO match. So I opted to do the MD match. And even in doing that, actually, I really did not experience bias because I was a DO. Um, And actually my program uh, chair, (laughs) one day I was actually sitting in lecture and he walks in and he goes, Volney. And I'm like, yes. He goes, do you know why you're here? And I'm like, no. (laughs) I'm like, I'm a resident. That's why I'm here. I don't know. (laughs) And he goes, you're here because I wanted you to be here. And he's, you know, my program chair is actually very well known, especially in the um, MFM or maternal fetal medicine realm. And um, I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. And now the heat is on. So, (laughs) but yeah, so I, I. I didn't experience any type of bias or or anything like that.
0: Good. As an ob GYN, what opportunities are there to subspecialize?
1: So there are a few subspecialties in OB. Now you can actually just do OB, which if you're just coming out, I I don't recommend that. I do recommend that you probably want to do OB and GYN, but you can just do OB. There is that particular practice model, you can just do GYN. Um, you can also do maternal fetal medicine, again, which is high-risk obstetrics. So again, people who have high-risk issues when they're pregnant, that's a, that's an actual subspecialty that is that has additional training of a three-year fellowship. There's urogynecology, so urology, gynecology, which is an additional three years. That one is very surgical heavy. Um, and one of the jokes that people make about uh, urogynecology is that you spend three years trying to learn five surgeries. I don't know if that's true, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's very, you know, it's very surgery heavy. There is uh gyne-oncology. So gynecological oncology, again, with cancers of the gynecological persuasion. And so you know, you're again in a, in a specialty that is very surgery heavy. And that is also three years. Um, There's Peds gynecology, which I believe is one year. Um, Not too many programs in Peds gynecology. uh, But, you know, it is, it is one subspecialty that, that you can do.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a good opportunity for things out there. To find what you were interested yeah. in.
1: Yeah. Oh, and one more. I forgot. There is one more. There's. How could I forget this? There's uh, reproductive endocrinology and infertility. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is actually what I was originally <laughs> interested in. Yeah. And then, you know, when 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 I found out I was interested in gynecology, um, but there is reproductive endocrinology and infertility, and I, I mean the title speaks for itself. You're dealing with infertility patients, um, and some other endocrinology. Endo- endocrinology disorders, but mainly infertility you're dealing with. And so that one is also a three-year fellowship.
0: Long fellowships in OB. Interesting. Yeah. What do you- It's
1: been seven years training.
0: Yeah. For five surgeries. (laughs) Yeah.
1: For five surgeries,
0: right. (laughs) What do you wish primary care providers knew about OBGYN to help you serve the patients better?
1: So I guess depending on depending on what organization you talk to, OB can be considered primary care. Mm-hmm. So uh, according to National Health Service Corps, it's a primary care specialty. But I think I think you're right in kind of how you depict it because that's kind of how I see it also. I, I don't think that it is primary care in the sense that we as physicians look at it, but um, you know, that that's debatable.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I actually I actually think day. it is a, a primary care for women's health. But I think there is still a primary care mm-hmm. physician for a woman's overall care.
1: Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So yeah, I'm not the person that if you come in with you know if if you came in with a hypertensive emergency like i'm probably not the person that you want non
0: pregnant yeah
1: <laughs> right <laughs> right non pregnant yep. exactly if you're pregnant that yes you come <laughs> to me but non pregnant then right you, you don't yeah so um but but what i'd like for primary care physicians to know about you know about my particular specialty um is that we, we really are, you know, like you said, we are kind of the first line for women's health. Right. And so, um, it's very important that we kind of have a relationship with primary care physicians with regards to women and their women's health. Sometimes what I'm, what I am seeing is that. A woman will go and see their primary care, let's say family practice or, you know, internal med doc, and they will have seen their, you know, that particular physician for years. However, they haven't had a pap smear in years, you know, and maybe they haven't even had a breast exam in years. I will say this, that especially the family med docs are pretty good at, at doing mammograms, but the breast exam is still recommended and so what i'm seeing is you know a trend of ha- having mammograms but not so much having clinical exams and so as an obgyn i will tell you that the clinical exam is still extremely valuable in treat- in uh, evaluating patients so these are the kinds of things that i think i'd like for the primary care physicians to kind of keep in the back of their minds to always ask their women patients, you know, have you seen the OBGYN? Have you had your pap smear? You know, um, even with birth control with teenagers, you know, asking them about, you know, just kind of their sexual history. Or if you're not comfortable asking about the sexual history, just at least ask, have you seen an OBGYN? Because I think that there are a lot of instances where we can treat um, or prevent and sometimes we miss the boat on that all because we're you know we're not communicating or because you know our our plates are just heavy and we're just not thinking about it at the time
0: mm-hmm. knowing what you know now about OBGYN what didn't you know when you were going into it that you wish you knew
1: oh that's a good question what do i you know i think what I wish I knew about it going in that I don't know now is how flexible it actually can be. And some people are probably, you know, who are listening to this are going to be like, "Wait, what are you talking about?" <laughs> but it actually can be pretty flexible. And uh, like I said, the new laborist, or sometimes you call you hear it called OB hospitalist model, uh, is you know more and more common these days. Um, so I, you know, I kind of wish I knew that it was just a little more flexible. So again, when you're an OB hospitalist, you know, or, or a laborist, you're in the hospital, um, primarily rather than being in the office and then having to take call and, you know, having to do all of, all of everything in one day. Um, so I kind of wish I knew that. Now that I do know that I'm actually taking a little more advantage. Again, I mentioned that, you know, I'm a new mom. And so it's really important for me to spend time with my baby and that flexibility of being able to work in the hospital alone and just set my, you know, set my schedule and say, okay, I am going to work on this day and know that if I'm in the hospital, I get all my work done. And pretty much when you're in the hospital, you do actually get all your work done and you don't get, you don't so much take home work with you. You know, you don't take work home with you like you do in the office setting. And so that, that has been kind of my saving grace, I think in this, you know, in these few weeks of maternity leave for me, um, that I've been able to spend more time with my son.
0: That's great. What do you like the most about being an OBGYN?
1: I like talking with patients. I really do. I really, really enjoy talking with patients, and regard regardless of what setting we're in, whether we're in the office um, or in the hospital, I really enjoy talking to patients. You know, I'm very, I'm very candid with my patients. You know, I'm not a, I, I'm not kind of the stuffy doc. So when you, you know, when you come in and I'm like, oh, hello, Mrs. Smith, how can I help you today? <laughs> you know, that, that's just not my style. You know, I'm very candid with my patients. You know, we shoot the breeze. I'm like, hey, girl, what's going on? You know, like, so that way, you know, I feel comfortable. They feel comfortable um, talking with me. And I think, you know, when I see that my patient is, you know, comfortable enough to tell me maybe something that they wouldn't have told anyone else um, so that I can help them get over you know, or at least address some type of an you know an issue, um, maybe domestic abuse or sexual abuse, um, or just you know something like postpartum depression. You know, all the things that sometimes people hide and are ashamed of, um, which they shouldn't be. You know, sometimes they're not comfortable telling a perfect stranger. But for me, I feel like it's a privilege for someone to be able to say that to me. Um, because you know, they, they didn't have to, and, and that's a lot of trust, um, that I carry or that they put into me that I, that I'm carrying for them. So I I just really enjoy talking with my patients.
0: What do you like the least?
1: Um, when it gets too busy, (laughs) when it gets too busy. Um, I think if it's too busy, then I feel like I don't have the time that I need to either talk with my patients, um, or have the time that I need with my family. Um, so that, that's, that's definitely one thing that I would say if I could trade that for something, you know, for something else, I would. The other thing that I would say that, ob- I mean, I think it's obvious and it be, you know, bad outcomes, you know, especially on the obstetrical side when you're dealing with, you know, either miscarriages or, you know, uh, stillborns, things like that, you know, it just, it just breaks your heart. That's something that you just, you never get used to. Um, Definitely, you know, bad diagnoses, you know, sometimes um, you get a diagnosis, let's say of a cervical cancer, things like that, you know, and I definitely have sat with patients, cried with patients, um because you know it it affects you i'm human you know and i think for me that's important for me to remember that i am still human and that being a doctor isn't just this title that i have that is separate from my own personality my own persona so you know um so when i do have those things that i don't like um it it tends to show
0: okay do you see any major changes coming to the field of OBGYN whether it's through technology or changes in practice?
1: Um I'm sure there are. <laughs> you know, OB is there are always obviously like anything in medicine there there's always something coming down the pike. And in particular, I think genetics is going to be you know really big in ob which obviously you know has a lot of scientific stuff that i don't you know that that is above my head um but there's a lot of genetics um technology coming down the pike i think for ob and you know most recently there there has been something called cell free dna that has come out and it, it might, well, there. some people are arguing whether or not it will take the place of amniocentesis. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, but it certainly does give a lot of information about a fetus during pregnancy that we didn't have in the past. Um, and so I think there's just going to be so much more on that front. I think policy-wise as well, I think there's going to be, you know, there's always the fight. Um, With women's health. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what policies um, are going to be emerging with regards to women's health, you know, in the next few years, um, because there's just always, always a fight um, (laughs) about, you know, around pregnancy, abortion, you know, uh, uh, pregnancy planning, things like that. Um, So that that'll be interesting, I think, to watch
0: all the all the white males sitting there talking about women's health. (laughs) We won't get into a politic discussion here, though.
1: No, we won't. We won't. I always, I I, I will say this, though. I will say that, you know, for any man that thinks that pregnancy doesn't affect men or that men should not necessarily, you know, be involved in terms of paying for pregnancy care, I tell them, look down at your belly buttons. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. You were once a fetus.
0: (laughs) I like it. Oh, Renee, any last words of advice or wisdom for the pre-med or medical student out there looking at OBGYN as a future career?
1: I would say definitely don't underestimate it. Um, don't not consider it. Uh, don't make the mistake that I made and just kind of, you know, tunnel vision your way to the point where, you know, you you feel like you got to the specialty that you wanted and then you didn't like it um i definitely was lucky that i did ob when i did it and loved it um it definitely is a specialty that i would say if you like using your hands like using your brain it it is something that truly i think you will help a lot of women Yes, you will never see a male patient again, and in a way, that's kind of a blessing.
0: (laughs) Unless they pass out in the room during birth, and then you may have to take care of them.
1: Correct. (laughs) Correct. Or, or if they need circumcisions, we do do circumcisions as OBs. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but I would say you you're definitely going to help a lot of people. And you know the thing about the thing about OB that I've learned especially in doing medical missions. So my husband and I, we've done medical missions, um, particularly in Ghana. I've also gone to Haiti. Uh, But one of the things that we learn about women's health is that women are typically the gatekeepers um, to their family's health. And so that's really important. So when you take care of a woman, there's a very good chance you're taking care of their entire family. Uh, Because if they, if they learn to prioritize their own health, they will do the same for their children, for their husbands, for their mothers, their sisters, they are pretty much, you know, the people who tend to keep the family healthy. So it's really, really important for you to kind of consider that when you're going into, or if you're considering OBGYN, that you will not just be helping that person who's sitting in front of you, or the two people in the case of a pregnant woman, but you will also be helping potentially their entire family. And that's that's a beautiful thing.
0: All right, there you have it. Dr. Renee Darko, an OBGYN, taking the time out of her busy new mom schedule to give you some advice on choosing OBGYN as a specialty, possibly choosing it as a specialty. If you have any thoughts, any questions, feel free to shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net, and I will do my best to help guide you on your journey as you're trying to figure out what you wanna do in life. If that means finding somebody to interview for you, if there's some weird specialty out there that you're interested in, shoot me an email, let me know and I'll go try to find somebody to interview for you because if you are thinking about it, there's probably somebody else thinking about it as well. If you enjoyed this podcast today, I would love for you to share it with your classmates, with your friends, with your advisors. Go to your administration at your medical school and tell them to email all of the medical students about this podcast so that they ha- have some more information and let them choose a career based on better information and more information than what you would typically get just through being exposed at your medical school. I hope you have a great week. Come check us out again next week. Don't forget to subscribe if you don't already. If you're just listening to this on the website, take out your phone, find a podcast app, and subscribe so you get it every week right on your phone. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time here at the Specialty Stories Podcast.